Sefer Devarim, Parshat Nitzavim, on choosing life. The most memorable part of Parshat Nitzavim comes at its conclusion, in which Moshe gives the people, who at this point must think they're surely ready to enter the promised land, a sobering but hopeful message. He tells them, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day. I have put before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life if you and your offspring would live by loving the Lord your God, heeding God's commands, and holding fast to God. For thereby you shall have life and shall long endure upon the soil that the Lord swore to your fathers, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, to give to them. This passage is a doorway to two key themes of Tanakh, free choice and the affirmation of life. And it is from here that Judaism solidifies the concept of Bechira Chovshit, or free will. We all know from experience that, of course, there are aspects of our lives in which our choices are limited by the cards we're dealt. We are in many ways beholden to our DNA, our early childhood experiences, the socialization we undergo, the political and technological factors around us, and of course, our socioeconomic status, race and gender. Nonetheless, the Torah also makes sure we know that we are free. Despite all that is outside of our control, we are responsible for the choices we make. In the Torah's framework, this is fundamentally about choosing between right and wrong. Our options are clearly laid out, and we must make a binary choice. As we got further and further from the experience of Mount Sinai, though, things became more complicated. By the time of the Talmud, we were already deeply steeped in a culture of machloket, of debate, ideally productive debate. Further, the Talmud is imbued with the understanding that not everyone is equipped to the same degree to easily follow all the laws of Torah. We learn that we should not, for example, penalize people who violate the Torah due to an illness or other unchangeable circumstance. Instead, Jewish life needed to be about empowering others to choose the right moral path and holding ourselves accountable for the choices we can freely make. One implication here is that God, in fact, has ceded some control to us. Submission most certainly has its place in Jewish thought, but only alongside a theology that values human autonomy. The written Torah gives us a blueprint for how free choice makes in the most ideal of circumstances. But the work that we're given today is more complicated than that. So too, philosophically, the proliferation of postmodernity tells us that what is good is highly subjective, up for interpretation, and complex to assess. This can make living the right life even more challenging. According to the 20th century rabbi Eliyahu Eliezer Dessler, we can't control everything in our lives. Rather, free choice is like a battlefield. One is only truly free to fight the battle one is in right now. You can only fight in one place at a time. He writes, With each good choice successfully carried out, the person rises higher in spiritual level. That is, things that were previously in the line of battle are now in the area controlled by the Yetzer Hatov. And actions done in that area can be undertaken without struggle and without Bechira. And so in the other direction, going into the Yetzirah pushes back the frontier of the good, 
and an act which previously cost one a struggle with one's conscience will now be done without Bechira at all. The Dessler, the tasks that are easy for you are morally insignificant. And at the same time, you cannot be held responsible for moral challenges you're not ready for. Your job is only to take on the challenge you're immediately confronted with. A slightly different approach comes from Rabbi Kolonimus Kalman Shapira, known as the Eish Kodesh. In his instructional work, Chavas HaTalmidim, he explained that while we do have free will, it often takes a great deal of introspection and character development to put oneself above the temptation toward transgression and reliably choose the right path. He believed that through prayer and study, one can transform into a holier person, which causes one to revile moral violations and be more committed to a truer and more just life. Therefore, we must do the work of becoming better people, people with calibrated moral compasses to keep us on track. The H. Kodesh wrote, Raising yourself up is not an optional matter that is only for the great Sadiqim. Rather, everyone, according to their situation, is required to elevate their entire being, at least periodically from time to time. We see from the unfolding of the Jewish tradition that free will today is not as simple as pressing one button for life and another for death. Instead, it is about equipping ourselves to make the right choices wherever we can find the opportunity. And yet that is not reason to discard the language from the time of more direct revelation. I have put before you life and death. Traditionally, this is understood quantitatively. We take the Torah to be radically life-affirming. We want to maximize the length of life, and we want to bring more life into the world. This relates to the Torah principles of pikuach nefesh, preserving life. The rabbis read Leviticus 18.5, You shall keep my laws and my rules by the pursuit of which human beings shall live. And understood that if the Torah gives us life, one should almost never need to sacrifice their own life to follow the Torah. Similarly, we're told in this Parsha to choose life in the sense that a life of virtue is what makes life worth living in the first place. It's crucial to save lives, but we see that we must also uphold a notion of quality of life. By this, I don't mean having nice things and vacationing. I mean that it is not enough to live long. We must also live well, living in a way that gives life to others. By living spiritual lives, we can learn to always be asking ourselves, am I choosing life? Can I affirm that what I'm doing is of value? Am I walking with integrity and pursuing the good rather than simply seeking what is fleeting? These are not easy questions to ask ourselves. But in a time in which we don't have Moses to tell us exactly how to live, this self-accounting is indispensable. In our time, not only do we need to choose life, we also are tasked with determining what that process specifically entails. We don't just need to make moral choices. We need to use ancient wisdom and teach ourselves how. Friends, since this is a double Parsha, we're now going to discuss Parshat Vayelech on living without regrets. In Parshat Vayelech, we come closer to the end of the Torah and to the end of Moshe's life. In Devarim 31, Deuteronomy 31, our teacher is explicitly told that his time is limited. We read, The Lord said to Moshe, The time is drawing near for you to die. 
call Joshua and present yourselves in the tent of meeting that I may instruct him. As we see throughout the Torah, Moshe is a thoroughly human character. So it only makes sense that he must contend with this universal human phenomenon of knowing his days are numbered, his mortality. With this heads up from God, he is, so to speak, being told it's time to check into hospice. In this way, Moshe's experience should be deeply relatable to us, as we too know that there are preparations we must make before leaving this life. We might need to plan charitable donations and estate gifts, make known our intentions about organ donation, prepare medical and burial instructions for family members, have passwords and codes together so everything can be accessed, or write an ethical will outlining a healthy continuation of our life's spiritual work. However, unlike Moshe, we are typically not given a divine warning that our death is about to arrive. To deal with this, we receive wisdom from Pirkei Avot from Rabbi Eliezer, who says, repent one day before your death. Everyone who reads this must be thinking, how will I know when it's one day before my death? Consequently, we learn that we must turn toward our best and truest selves every single day as if it is our last. We learn there's no guarantee that we will have ample time to straighten out our most beloved relationships. We also learn daily we must we need to take account for the status of our moral mission in the world. This can humble us, making us realize as individuals that we're limited in the impact we can make. But it can also embolden us, forcing us to realize that every day is a fleeting opportunity to make our work in the world matter. It can teach us to not only be con- to not be consumed with the petty. It can teach us to live in a way that if we are, God forbid, f- confronted with a premature, grim prognosis, we'll have lived with fewer regrets, with less dread about how we spent our time scrolling through Twitter or surfing the TV channels for content that does not lastingly make making us whole. Though our influence will be finite, you'll have lived knowing that you made a unique impact that only you could have made. In the next chapter of Pirkei Avot, we read about our limited and humbling chance to make a difference in the world. Kavya Ben Mahalo said, mark well three things and you will know, you, excuse me, you will not come into the power of sin. Know from where you have come and where you are going and before whom you are destined to give an account and reckoning. From where do you come? From a putrid drop. Where are you going? To a place of dust, of worm, and of maggot. From whom are you destined to give an account and reckoning? Before the king of of the kings of kings, the holy one be blessed. The fact that death is coming sooner or later should terrify us, yes. But it should not stunt us. It should be motivation to make the most of the time available to us. To do the things that are meaningful and bring goodness into the world. The songwriter, the songwriter Leonard Cohen famously worked on his poems and songs almost all the way up into, until death took him away. Sitting in a medical chair in his house, he continued to write and sing despite his dying of cancer. He explained in his final interview, there's the element of time, which is powerful, with its incentive to finish up. Now I haven't gotten near finishing up. I don't know how many other things I'll be able to get to because at this particular stage, I experience deep fatigue. There are times when I just have to lie down. I can't play anymore, and my back goes fast also. Spiritual things, Baruch Hashem, have fallen into place. 
for which I am deeply grateful. And the work that Leonard Cohen did in this time, which was largely about his own death, would be remembered by Rabbi Jonathan Sachs of Blessed Memory, who, as his most meaningful. Shortly after Cohen's death, Rabbi Sachs would say, this last song he left us, You Want It Darker, is the most Jewish one he ever wrote. It contains the Kaddish, the Jewish prayer for the dead, and the chorus three times repeats the word Hineni. Here I am, the famous words of Avraham and indeed of Yaakov and Moshe to God. When God calls, we reply, Hineni, here I am. Rabbi Sachs explains that while Cohen on his deathbed saw himself as Avraham with his obedience, he also saw himself as Isaac, the way he was looking death straight in the face, as Isaac did when he was bound and about to be sacrificed. Sachs says, the chorus of Hineni, Hineni, I'm ready, my Lord represents both attitudes. Here in Darker, he brings together two figures, Avraham and Yitzchak, father and son, the sacrificer and the sacrificed. It's Avraham who says, Hineni, and it's Isaac, in effect, says, I'm ready, my Lord. Cohen and Moshe's stories overlap in that both of their deaths were not welcome. They were not welcome news. They had unfinished business to attend to. Moshe with getting the people to the promised land and Cohen with trying little by little to defeat the darkness in the world. Rabbi Sachs explains that Cohen's end-of-life work was in fact an act of protest, saying, this is his final message to us. He's saying, God, I love you, but I don't love the world you've created. I love you dearly, but I don't like the human beings that you've made in your image. I love the love that you have for us, but I don't like the hate that you so often, that so often that love gives rise to. And yet for all of that, Leonard Cohen continued to affirm God and light and hope, even though Leonard Cohen knew he was about to die and was saying Kaddish for himself. He was saying that despite everything, even in the face of death, Jews still praise God. In this final song, Leonard Cohen becomes Job, arguing with God, finding no answers to his questions, but finding nonetheless the strength to sing and to affirm. Friends, ideally, the end of life should be a holy time. Being told to go up the mountain and look at the promised land that we did not personally reach should be a time to be concerned with the inward, to focus on our own well-being and with the people who are beloved to us. When we know there is no time left to waste, our preoccupations with the insignificant distractions of the world fall away, and we turn to what matters most. Because we don't know when this time will come, the Torah calls us to do the work of gaining clarity ahead of time. By doing that, we can be sure to have lived a life in which we've given more than we've taken. Shabbat Shalom.